Weekday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Health Suites with Clarissa Montero on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Health Suite. So, Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero. We are broadcasting live from Marina One Basement 2. Today on the show, I have Kelvin Lee, founder of the Listening Lab, here to talk about the importance of seeking professional consultation for one's hearing issues before purchasing hearing aids and the health related dangers of not doing so. Kelvin, welcome to the show. First and foremost, this is going to be very interesting for me because I am kind of deaf. <laughs> and that's the truth. For starters, what are some of the biggest problems facing the Singapore hearing aid industry today? Okay, just to uh, clarify, first mm. of all, you can't really be deaf, yeah? <laughs> so you're hearing impaired. Right? I'm so, hearing impaired. That's right. So, uh, yeah, so what happens is that if you had been an infant today, mm-hmm. you would have been probably de- diagnosed at uh, screening after birth, right. and you would be able to be flagged out as a person that might need help, mm-hmm. and you'd be probably fitted with hearing aids, if I understand that, 30% to be true. Yeah. So what your question was, was uh, what are the uh, challenges facing the hearing industry today? Mm. I think in general, it's the same in most countries in the Southeast Asian region, Mm -hmm. which is that hearing loss isn't a priority for uh, many uh, governments or communities. It's perceived as, of course, a um, not a very critical loss of sense, Mm -hmm. which we can understand why sometimes, because hearing is very passive. Eyesight, if you lose your eyesight or you lose the sense of smell, that tends to be noticed quite quickly. With hearing, it's usually a very gradual loss. So I think one of the big challenges is that there's insufficient awareness on getting the message out that the loss of hearing is actually a very fundamental function of actually being alive and communicating in general. So public education, I think, is a very big concern because if you get it to the level where kidney function, diabetes, uh, heart function, that sort of messaging out, which is uh, very prevalent in our country today, Mm -hmm. a lot of awareness on that sort of ailments, I think hearing needs to be at that level at some point of time. uh, And we are are working... Are you saying that that it's not yet? No, for sure. Hearing is actually a a much less recognized ailment in modern society. Right. And one of the simple reasons is that WHO, World Health Organization, in most countries, they've realized that hearing loss is really uh, covering just about 10% of the population. Mm -hmm. So if you contrast this with uh, other diseases which are more pressing, you can understand why this takes a little bit of a backseat for most governments. All right, sure. I can understand that. You're, You're right. But having said that, you know, coming through the Singapore school system, I remember taking my first class wide hearing test in primary school and that's where they first identified that maybe I had a problem and they were actually they were more concerned that maybe I didn't do the test correctly because I couldn't possibly be quite that hearing impaired that young was what they came up with Um, but because they started doing those hearing tests so early I just assumed that there was going to be adequate follow-up and if there were students who had hearing problems then they would be dealt with. So you're saying that's not a huge priority. I'm supposing at that point of time, after they flagged out that test, there was not really sort of a follow-up for you. There was follow-up. Okay. They, they did ask us to go to another hearing test. And right. my parents basically took me to private doctors who then went, nah, she's fine. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, nowadays, uh, well, Singapore being a very advanced in healthcare, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of screenings that uh, when a child is born, when they start, sure. they're able to actually realize whether you have a hearing loss at a very early, even in infancy. Mm-hmm. And once that's found out, steps are immediately taken. Sure. If the infant has a hearing loss that is, makes the, in, the child a good candidate for hearing aids, he's fitted quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And once the child is fitted and he responds all well and good, and rehabilitation will then follow up with a hospital audiologist and the departments of hearing. Right. Now, if hearing aids are insufficient, and this happens quite a bit, especially with congenital hearing loss, okay. then a possible procedure for that might be uh, implant of some sort, 
and a very popular implant for that is cochlear implants, mm -hmm. where if the child uh, has a hearing loss that hearing aids are not suitable for, and an implant can help him, a surgery, a fairly simple surgery, between 45 minutes to 2 hours is done, where an implant is put into the child, the child heals from the surgery, and in about 2 weeks, an external device is paired with the implant, and the child is then able to recover up to 80-90% of his hearing. Sure. All right. Now, that, I think that's great. To be quite honest, if I had been hearing impaired and that had degenerated more and more, I wouldn't be able to do what I do for a living now. And that would be quite tragic because I love what I do. Yes, it would be tragic for everyone. <laughs> oh, thank you. So at that point, my question, what I'm really interested in is what is the response of parents? If, if you tell parents, okay, your child has a hearing impairment and surgery might be required, is there a stigma for the parents for that child? in the same way eyesight impairment has a stigma? I think stigma is probably the second or third thing that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. The first thing is really fear. Okay. You know, you have a little baby and mm -hmm. she might have to do a surgery. Right. So a lot of the counselling really involves that. And um, sometimes the whole idea of putting a, a device into a baby that small, it really, it really it's scares quite frightening. Part. It's frightening. Parents, sure. Right. And there's always worry of complications. But... The surgery is quite a standard one. Mm -hmm. There have been very few incidences of surgeries gone wrong for cochlear implants, statistically, or in the whole world. Mm -hmm. So it is generally a, quite, uh, a relatively safe surgery to go through. Having said that, stigma would then be the second thing. Now my sure. child will have to wear a device, a fairly visible one, okay. in public for a long, long time, right? So how do they get around that? So that would come a lot with uh, habilitation, counselling the parents, eventually counselling the child. But the key thing to remember for all parents is that a hearing loss is far more obvious than a hearing aid or any sort of hearing device. Sure. Because in the communication which you do day to day mm -hmm. with people you love, your family members, your friends or people you want to impress at work, the thing that is very noticeable is the inability to communicate at a level that's required. And that would be the most obvious symptom uh, instead of having a device on your head. So therefore, the taking actions with devices will be a much better solution, especially if it affects the child for life. Now, let's talk about hearing aids. I know nothing about them. So maybe you can tell me, are there different kinds? I mean, is it quite a mind-boggling array of options if you needed a hearing aid? Okay, so at any one time, the listening lab, any hearing center in the listening lab carries close to about 150 different types of hearing devices. Okay. Right? The one thing that people that always... That sounds quite mind-boggling. It is, it is. <laughs> right, yes, for a very small center as well. For a small setup, yeah? The first thing you notice is the size. Mm -hmm. Some of them look like little brown peanuts, mm -hmm. and some of them look like little beige bananas. Okay. Yeah, generally, there's kind of like a food theme running. But, um, Indeed. <laughs> now, the very small ones, the peanut ones, are the ones that you place in your ear. Mm -hmm. They are totally customized, and being that small means the power output is also limited. Okay. They are usable for a mild to moderate sort of hearing loss. Mm -hmm. Now, the beige banana, so people wonder, why would I use a beige banana when I hide a little peanut in my ear, right? So, the beige banana would be something that's for people with a bit of a more significant hearing loss. Sure. It could be a moderate, severe, even a borderline profound hearing loss. Mm -hmm. Those devices would work. Now, so what a lot of people don't realize, why do hearing aids cost? You know, why on one hand it can be a few hundred dollars, why it can be a few thousand dollars? So a lot of it boils down to the circuitry that is actually placed in that casing. So you could have a very advanced 48-channel system in a hearing aid that looks like a beige banana. You can have a very simple four-channel system that's in that same beige banana and the price is very, it varies a lot, but okay. it looks exactly the same. But they do very different things. They sound significantly different. They do different things. They mm -hmm. have different features. And nowadays, there are a lot, there's a lot of emphasis on comfort features. If you need to use your phone regularly, you pick up your call, the sound goes to your hearing aid as though like a Bluetooth device. But when you switch off the phone, it becomes a hearing aid that's 
that uh, customer. Yes, that's right. That's yes. amazing. Yes, well. <laughs> okay, this is not the few hundred dollar one, right? This would usually cost more, <laughs> yeah. And of course, rechargeability, so convenience features. We used to have to fiddle with very small, five, one cent coin sized batteries, or maybe mm. even less than that. And people who are older, finger dexterity is an issue, they drop them a lot. But with rechargeable systems, pop it in a dock as you would your iPod. Right. And it recharges, and when you pick it up, it works for 20 to 30 hours a day. Okay, now let's talk about you, Calvin. You are the founder of The Listening Lab. What was your motivation behind setting it up? I had several motivations, uh, but first and foremost was, of course, uh, I saw an entrepreneurship opportunity. Mm -hmm. That was uh, a very key part of it. I realized, as uh, Malcolm Gladwell mentioned in his book, Outliers, uh, 10,000 hours to achieve competency. I'd maybe done 30 or 50 or something like that, many times more than 10,000 hours. I was coming up with projects, I was running them, I was creating them. So at the point of time, I realized, why not do it for myself, right? Mm -hmm. I had the resources, I had the know-how, and that was the first step. The second thing was that I realized there was a market need. I wanted to really implement my vision of what a hearing care center or business sh uh, service should be. Right. And I wanted it to be untethered from maybe uh, an unhinged manager or different sort of uh, creative uh, ideas on how this could be done. Mm -hmm implementation direction. So I very much felt very strongly for my own vision of it and that's how I, I got things going. Okay, so this surprises me because usually when you're, when you're looking at a business like this, there is somebody in your family or in your immediate circle that you're very close to who might have suffered a, a hearing disability that then you, you know, with your entrepreneurial spirit would have gone, okay, I can do something about this, I can do something with this. So that, that wasn't a driving force. I had that story. Okay. It's just that I didn't put it together till much later in life when I was midway through this. I, I actually had a grandmother who passed away when I was 18 and mm -hmm. I'm a lot older than 18 now. Okay. And uh, she actually used an old style pocket aid. You would actually clip a little box to your pocket mm -hmm. with a little wire insert a receiver into your ear and that's how she would hear. It would squeal, it would make a lot of sounds. And it wouldn't work very well. Right. What I learned since young, since I was a child, was that I was very good at hand gestures. I would be constantly talking with her with Italian-style hand gestures. Right. right. And when I finally took up my first job as an audiometrician, I realized that people understood me quite quickly because mm -hmm. of my very exaggerated hand gestures. Right. And from there, I put two and two. And I guess many times I look back and I look at my career and I think, hey, you know what? I think I owe a lot of this to my grandmother. I think you do. Yes, I do. Some of the best ideas and some of the best things we do for ourselves isn't exactly a concerted decision, but it comes from something like that. You know, some nebulous connection or even very direct connection to somebody we love. I have to agree with you on that. All right. Now that we've shared that personal story, how do you think the public has responded to the Listening Lab services? Well, my heart is very warmed. They have responded, I would say, very well. Uh, we've only started in May 2017 and since then we've put up 10 centres in total in Kuala Lumpur and Singapore mm -hmm. and we've seen thousands of clients. So I'm very happy with the progress. Of course, as with anything, I think we can do it better. Okay. But I would say the initial reaction surprised me and I, I, I'm very happy with the progress we've made and the team that we have and I have to give thanks to the audiologists, acousticians, administrators and people that work with in my company and mm -hmm. I think we've all done a fantastic job and long may it continue. Okay, now before I let you go, because this is an important question for so many people who don't even necessarily realise it, how do we protect our hearing? Ah, so hearing conservation is all a matter of exposure. Mm -hmm. So the longer you are exposed to a volume that is loud, then if the volume is loud, expose it yourself to a shorter period of time. If right. it's soft, expose it to a longer period of time. 
there's this rule that I like that's very handy. It may not be the most accurate, but it is a very handy rule. It's called the 60-60 rule. Right. If you set a phone volume to 60%, and of course we don't know what decibels those are, they don't declare it there, right? Mm-hmm. Set it at 60%, don't go beyond an hour of using headphones, right? If you're going to lower the percentage of the volume, then you can use it for a bit longer. I'm going to use this for my boss the next time I have to do a very long edit. I can't edit for more than an hour at a time. That's right. And then ask for overtime. <laughs> but it's true. Yes, right. And then ask for, no, and then ask for hazard pay. Hazard pay. I like that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Calvin Lee, founder of the Listening Lab, for coming in and talking to us. This has been a great conversation. Thank you Thank so you much, for the sharing. You. You're a Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.